Grab your Bible and let me invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. I want you to imagine a scene with me this morning, okay? Use your imagination. Let's imagine that we are at a church swim party. Now, I know Baptists don't do mixed bathing, but just imagine, okay? <laughs> All right? We're at a church swim party. Everybody's having a great time and good food, of course, because we always have good food, right? We're in the pool. We're having fun. When I suddenly, I sneak up behind you and I yell out, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I slam you under the water as hard as I can. And you come up out of the water and you turn around and you say, what was that? What are you doing, man? What was that? I say, look, you, you just got baptized. You should be thanking me. <laughs> Would you be thanking me that day? Yes. Yes, all right. <laughs> Some of us would love that in this room, and that's why we dunk our children. No, but I think most of you adults would probably not like it. Here's the question, though. Here's the question. Is that really baptism? That's right. I think we all agree. No, it's not genuine biblical baptism, but look, why not? We were in water. You got dunked. I'm a pastor. I said the words why doesn't that count as baptism? Well, I think we know there's, there's something more to baptism for, for one in that scenario. You weren't exactly willing. Uh, wanting to be baptized surely is a part of being baptized. But what else makes baptism? Baptism. Are there other requirements? Does it matter where you get baptized? Does it matter how they do it? Does it matter who does it? And why should we even care? What is real biblical baptism? Well, that's the question that we're going to answer this morning. Uh, every so often as a church, we like to take a Sunday morning and devote an entire message to this topic because baptism is an important part of who we are and what we do as a church. I don't know if you noticed, but it's actually in our church name, <laughs> Blue Valley Baptist Church, right? In fact, it's so important that two years ago, our elders got together and they wrote a statement on what we believe about baptism. If you want to read that statement in its entirety, you can do so on our church website. Click the About Us tab, click Elders, and you'll see on the side there the, the statement. You can read that. I will say that I was not an elder when that statement was written. Neither was Jeff Allen or Ricardo Moreira, but Jeff Herman was. So that means any questions or complaints you have should be directed to him, okay? I'm kidding. I, I do agree completely <laughs> with the statement. I think it's a really good summary that answers all of the helpful questions we might have about baptism. And so this morning, I'm going to take some points from that statement and show you, most importantly, their place in the Word of God. And we're going to do that by looking at four points about baptism. But first, if you've got Matthew 28 open, I want to show you why we're even having this conversation. Why is this so important? Why do we make a big deal about baptism? Why should I as a Christian even care about this? Well, here's why. Look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. These are, in my opinion, some of the most important verses in the Bible. These are Jesus' last words to his disciples before he leaves and returns to heaven. This is it right here. And here's what he told them and what's called his great commission. Verse 18. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This right here, these are verses that you need to memorize. This is our mission as a church. This is our calling. This is why we exist. This is our plan. We're called to make disciples after all of Jesus' great ministry, after all the amazing things he did. This is the calling that he leaves us with. And notice the first way we're to do it, the first way we're to make disciples, he says, by baptizing them. Baptism is so important that not only was Jesus himself baptized, but he also included it as the number one command for his disciples to spread Christianity around the whole world. Make disciples, and as you do, baptize them. This is our why. This is the reason this topic is so important, and it brings us all back to the what. What is baptism? Well, there's four points, again, I want to give you on that. Here's the first. Number one, we need to understand the meaning of baptism. The meaning. If you grew up in a Baptist church like I did, then baptism probably seemed like a totally normal thing. I remember from my earliest church days seeing people standing in a baptistry just like this, wearing the white robe. Did your church have everybody had the white robes on? And they were being dunked by my dad, who was the pastor at the time. But for other people, especially those who, who didn't grow up in church at all, the idea of putting someone underwater, it might seem kind of strange, right? So, so what is baptism? What does it mean? Well, I like to define it this way. Listen to this. Baptism is an outward act that symbolizes an inward commitment to trust in Jesus and be a part of his church. Let me say that again. Baptism is an outward act that symbolizes an inward commitment to trust in Jesus and be a part of his church. Look, if we're going to understand baptism, we got to first understand that it's a symbol. A symbol is a sign that represents something. It points us to something else. It has some, some meaning behind it. You know, as a kid, the way I had baptism explained to me was with a wedding ring. Did you guys learn it that way? Uh, let, let me show you what I'm talking about. I'm going to come down here for... A little example, I'm going to ask my friend Parker a question because I know he won't get mad at me. Parker, um, what does this wedding ring mean? It means he said that I'm married. Very good. Who am I married to? Mrs. Hayes. That was very polite. Thank you. So if I take this ring off, does this mean I'm not married anymore? If I put this ring on your finger, does this mean you're married to my wife? That would be very weird, right? Can we give a hand for Parker for his, his demonstration? That's how it was taught to me, and it shows us that what, is, what does the wedding ring mean? Well, the wedding ring's a symbol. It symbolizes my marriage, my commitment to Amber in the same way. Baptism is a symbol. A symbol of what, though? It's an outward act that symbolizes an inward commitment to trust in Jesus it symbolizes being saved, repenting of your sin, putting your faith in Jesus, becoming a Christian. And those are things that happen in your heart. When I was a kid, I used to hear people say that they asked Jesus to come into their heart. 
And I was kind of confused. <laughs> I was like, how can Jesus fit in someone's heart? I thought like if you cut somebody open and you look in there, there'd be a little Jesus in there. Yeah, that'd be weird. But these are inward spiritual realities that we can only see by the evidence. And in the Bible, baptism is one of the pieces of evidence that demonstrate someone's salvation by Jesus. It's like an announcement. It's a moment of identifying yourself with Christ, telling the world, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. And this is what Romans 6 is all about. Look at this on the screen. Romans 6, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes this. He says, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism in the death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Hang on a second. What is Paul talking about? We were baptized in the death of Christ? Didn't Jesus die 2,000 years ago? I don't know about you, but I wasn't alive back then. So what's he saying? He's saying that when we're baptized, we're identifying ourselves with the three things that Jesus did on our behalf. First, we're identifying ourselves with the death of Jesus. When we're baptized, we're acknowledging that Jesus died for me, that his death on the cross was also my death. He paid for my sins, and my old self is dead with him. Second, we're identifying ourselves with the burial of Jesus. We don't think often about the burial of Jesus. But when Christ was buried, it signified that the payment for my sin was complete. All the sin and judgment that Jesus bore in his body was taken into the grave and laid to rest. Baptism signifies that our sins are gone and buried with Christ in the ground forever. And third, when we're baptized, we're identifying ourselves with Jesus' resurrection. Paul says that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too will walk in newness of life. One day when Christ returns, our dead bodies will be resurrected just like Jesus and we'll have new resurrection bodies. So in baptism, we declare that we've been made into a new creation because of the resurrection of Jesus. And one day we will rise again and live forever with him. This is the meaning of baptism. It's an outward act that symbolizes an inward change. It's identifying with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It's declaring that I trust in Jesus and his finished work. Which brings us to the second thing we need to understand about baptism. Number two, we need to see the motive. The motive for baptism. If baptism is just a symbol, then why should we do it? I mean, like, yeah, it sounds cool, but is it really mandatory? Well, this is where it's important to make a distinction. Baptism is not necessary for salvation, but it is necessary for obedience. Even though baptism doesn't save you, it's still a requirement of following Christ. And let me explain real quick that first idea that baptism doesn't save. Because there are some denominations that believe baptism is essential for salvation. Like if you were to trust in Jesus today and die on the way home, you ain't going to make it. The Catholic Church and a few others teach that baptism is essential for salvation because it actually washes away your original sin that you're born with. That's why they baptize infants. They believe baptism actually imparts grace into someone to cleanse their sin. But with all due respect to those people, this is contrary to the gospel. 
Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, It's for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, not a result of baptism, not a result of anything, so that no one may boast. We're saved by grace through faith, period. There's no work, no matter how good, no matter how holy, that can save you or cleanse your sin. I don't care if the preacher dunks you three times or if it's done in the Jordan River itself, the water cannot save you. Our our baptistry back here is not filled with holy water. I don't go back there and bless it every Sunday morning before church. It's just water. Now, it is good, Olathe water. Don't we have great water here in Olathe? Amen. But it's baptism is just a symbol. It's not salvation. However, on the other hand, even though baptism does not save you, it is still a matter of obedience. We read this earlier. Jesus commanded us to baptize his followers. On Pentecost, after Peter preached to the people, they said, what do we need to do? And he said, hey, repent and be baptized. When Philip witnessed to the Ethiopian eunuch, it was understood that the first thing he needed to do was to be baptized. So they pulled over and dunked him. After Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was blind until Ananias came to restore him. And the first thing he did was get baptized. It's crystal clear in the New Testament. When someone puts their faith in Jesus, they are baptized in obedience to the Great Commission. That's the motive. It's not for salvation, but it's from salvation. And that order is important. Because there are other denominations that do baptize infants as well. Not to save them or to impart grace into them, but rather as a sign of the new covenant. Like circumcision was a sign for babies in the Old Testament that they're a part of God's people. They view baptism as that sign today. So even though our Presbyterian brothers and sisters do not view baptism as giving someone saving grace, they still get things a little out of order. Baptism should come after salvation or it's not biblical baptism. I've counseled many people who were baptized as children. Then later, they realized they'd not actually been saved by Jesus. They hadn't trusted it. They hadn't fully understood it. They may have walked an aisle or prayed a prayer because their parents wanted them to or they thought that's what you know, kids that grow up in church do. So they asked me, they say, do I need to be re-baptized? And I say to them, and all compassion, I say, no, you need to be baptized the first time because as a kid, you, you just got wet. <laughs> Baptism comes after salvation. I've also talked to some people who were baptized as a baby in their home church, as a part of their their family and their church tradition. And they're hesitant to be baptized now by immersion because it feels disrespectful to their family or to the church that raised them. Look, and I get all that. I, I too have a spiritual heritage that's meaningful to me. And it's difficult when we're taught one thing our whole lives, then all of a sudden somebody's telling us that we're wrong and they're right. It can be confusing especially since it's not a matter of salvation. Here's the thing. Here's how I would encourage those people. If you were baptized as an infant, that's okay. It shows that your parents, that your church, they cared about you and your spiritual future, and they did what they believed was right. But I would challenge you to take some time to seek God's will through prayer and through his word. Study for yourself what the Bible teaches on baptism. Build your own conviction and then do what you believe obedience requires.
And if you have a family that loves the Lord and if you grew up in a home church that loves the Lord, then I don't think they're going to be upset with you, or at least they shouldn't be, for doing your best to obey God and his word. And that really is the whole key here. We don't get baptized out of tradition or family values or because our friends do it or because our parents want us to do it or because our spouse wants us to do it or even because your pastor preaches on it. We should do it out of obedience and love for Jesus. That's the real motive. And that's second. Here's the third thing we need to understand about baptism. Number three, we need to see the mode, the mode of baptism. So let's talk about that dunking for a minute. What's up with that? Is that the only way to do it? Is that the right way? Does it even really matter how you do it? I remember growing up, my, my sisters and I, we used to pretend to baptize one another in the swimming pool. Anybody else do that? We were those preacher's kids, you know. It's kind of fun to dunk your sister under the water. But the mode of baptism, which we call immersion or, or fully putting someone underneath the water, it is important. It's important first off because that's what baptism is. And I don't mean that arrogantly, but when you actually study the word baptism, it means to immerse. The New Testament was originally written in the Greek language, and we get our word baptize from the Greek word baptizo. You'll see it on the baptism shirts that we use. Some of you have that. If you look that word up in your Greek dictionary, which I know you all read every night before bed, you'll see that this word is defined. It's a verb which means to plunge or dip or to wash completely. And we see this in the biblical examples of baptism. They, they, they clearly immersed. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, it says he came up out of the water. And that's when the Spirit descended on him. It's also pretty convincing to me that John baptized people in a river. If he were sprinkling people, did he really need a whole river? I mentioned earlier the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. We find that in Acts 8, and it says this. And he, he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. That's a big reason why I think baptism is immersion. But there's another reason that we dunk people, and it goes back to Romans 6 and the symbolism. Baptism is a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's actually acting out a play of what Christ has done for you. Have you ever thought about this? Going backwards under the water is like dying and being buried. Your whole self has been crucified with Christ. It's dead, gone, and you've been buried under the water with him. Then when you come back up out of the water, it's a picture of being raised to new life with Christ. You're, you're literally acting out what Jesus did when he saved you. There's also the image of water cleansing you of your sin like the blood of Jesus cleansed you. There's also the picture of entrusting someone else to dunk you. You don't dunk yourself, and just as you don't save yourself, but you place your life, your whole life, into someone else's hands, and you fall into grace. And lastly, it's symbolic that baptism is done in front of the gathered church. Notice, I didn't say in a church. The building, the location, what kind of water tank you got, that's not important. But it's my opinion that baptism should not be a private thing. Working in uh, rural West Tennessee, I had a lot of people who would ask me, Pastor, let's just go down to the, the pond behind my house and can you just dunk me out there, just the two of us? 
They were either nervous to get in front of people or they just didn't want to make a big deal about it. But I would explain to them that I believe baptism should be done in front of your church body. So a pond is fine, a pool's fine, a lake, a baptistry, that's all fine, but it's the people that you want there. Why are the people important? Why can't it be private? Well, remember, we said baptism is a public profession of faith. It's kind of hard to publicly profess something when there's no one there. Making a commitment to follow Jesus, pledging your allegiance to him, it should be public. Jesus said he wants us to confess him before men. And I think doing that public, that public should be the church. It should be your church. I know scripture is not explicit on this, but our church by law state, as most Baptist churches do, that baptism is one of the ways you become a member of this church. You're baptized in front of your church family. They see you and you see them. And it signifies your commitment to them and their commitment to you. It's like an adoption ceremony. You're becoming a family. It's, it's so cool. Does that mean if you weren't baptized in front of a local church, it doesn't count? Or if you got baptized in front of a different church body, then you need to be baptized in front of this church body? No, no, that's not necessary. I'm just saying, if, if baptism symbolizes you're becoming a part of the people of God, doesn't it make sense that you would do that in front of your local expression of the people of God, which is your church? This is also the reason our, our statement of faith requires an ordained deacon or elder to perform the baptism. In our local church, those are the men who, who serve as the authority and the leadership in our church. So to have them doing the baptizing is our way of recognizing and authorizing the church's acceptance of them. It just further connects that moment of baptism to becoming a part of God's family, which is important. So the mode of baptism, it's immersion with the local church, performed by the local church for entrance into the family of a local church. That's third. Here's the fourth and last thing we need to understand about baptism. Number four, we need to understand the moment, the moment for baptism. We've already established that baptism comes after salvation. But how soon after? Should there be discipleship first or some kind of season of testing? Should you have to memorize the books of the Bible? Well, this is one area where our church differs a little bit from others. When our elders crafted a statement, our statement on baptism, they, they spent a lot of time studying and discussing what Scripture teaches. And they came to the conclusion that baptism should be done immediately after salvation. And looking at the New Testament, I, I agree with them. Let me show you some of the biblical examples we've seen. We already saw in the Great Commission, Jesus said, make disciples, baptizing them, then teaching them. So baptism seems to be the first step of someone's spiritual journey. They don't have to know all the theology or read the whole Bible or have all the answers to be baptized. They simply must believe in Jesus, then they be baptized. There are three more instances we already mentioned. First off is, is Pentecost in Acts 2. Peter preaches the gospel to the people and they say, hey, what do we need to do? And Peter says, here's what you need to do. You need to all go through and tell me how many of the Ten Commandments you know. Is that what he said? Is that what he said? No. He said, repent and be baptized. And that day, they baptized 3,000 people. There was no separation, no season of waiting. Next, you got Philip and the eunuch. I mentioned that one in Acts 8. You already saw he's riding down the road in the chariot. He's reading Isaiah. 
Philip tells them about Jesus. He gets saved. They pull the chariot over. They literally pull off the road to baptize the guy. They say, hey, there's water. Let's go. Then you got the apostle Paul. He encounters Jesus. He he becomes blind. And the, the first thing he does when he regains his sight, he goes and joins a Sunday school class. No, he's baptized. Then one more. I said three, but I got one more. Peter and Cornelius. Do you remember that story? Peter's on the roof of the house. He's praying, and uh, God tells him to go to Cornelius and take the gospel to his family, and they believe the gospel. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, all right, let's see how many verses these guys have memorized. No, he said baptize them. Oh, and I, I got one more for you. The jailer at Philippi, you remember that story? Paul and Silas have been thrown in prison and they're singing and they're praising God and earthquake comes and opens up all the doors of the cells and people start coming out and the jailer, he's freaking out thinking, oh man, I'm gonna die. And so he says this in Acts 16, he says to Paul and Silas, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in this house And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. He was baptized at once. Man, I'm convinced this is the New Testament pattern. When someone repents and believes in Jesus, they should be baptized. So how does this play out at Blue Valley Baptist Church? When someone gets saved in a service, do we pull an alarm and we say, hurry, hurry, get him in the water, throw him in, throw him in, quit. No, it's not that crazy. But we do encourage people to get baptized as soon as possible, as soon as they're able. Oftentimes people want to invite family members from out of town, so it may be a few weeks and that's okay, that's great. But other times, if someone can do it right then that day and we've heard their testimony and affirmed their salvation, we will baptize them right then. In fact, we believe this so much that we have decided every Sunday to always keep our baptistry filled and warm. Do you hear it running? You're going to hear that sound every week. Because what we don't want is someone trusting in Jesus and saying, oh, okay, I'll get around to that later. Because when Jesus saves someone, baptism is the way we profess our faith to the world. It's the way we declare and demonstrate and signify what Jesus has done. And it is a beautiful moment to remember and celebrate. Do you remember when you were baptized? I remember that day I was seven years old. My dad, who was my pastor, he, he baptized me. It was the first time I'd ever seen my dad cry and get emotional. I had my family and friends there, and I was so excited. And, man, I was pretty nervous, too. And I remember I went down under the water, and I didn't bend my knees, so my legs went straight up in the air. But I can still remember how, how special and how impactful that moment was. Look, I was already a Christian. God saved me before that day. If I died before I made it in the water, I'd still be in heaven. But the meaning still mattered. And it still matters to me today. I think sometimes as Christians, because we get so passionate about faith and faith alone being the way to salvation, that we unintentionally minimize baptism. Baptism is a gift to the church. 
It's a reminder for all of us of what Christ has done. It's a time for all of us to remember the gospel, to remember our baptisms, and to accept a new brother or sister into the family. So in light of all that, what do we do now? Well, the first thing should be obvious. If you've never given your life to Christ, that is step one. You need to make a commitment today to follow him by repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus. Then you need to be baptized. If you're already a follower of Jesus and there's no doubt you've made that decision to trust in him, but you've never been baptized, you should do that today or next week or as soon as you can. If you've been a believer for a long time, but you never got baptized, that's not something to be embarrassed about. Or if you came from a different tradition where baptism wasn't practiced or maybe it was done in a different way, that's not something to be ashamed of. My wife was saved as a young girl. She wasn't baptized till a college. She was a college student. Any time to be baptized is a good time, and we will celebrate and support you. We're not going to say, oh, it's about time. We're going to celebrate. Maybe your salvation story is a little out of order. You were baptized when you were a child, but you didn't really understand fully what it meant, and you weren't truly saved until later. You should really consider being baptized after salvation. If that's something you want to talk about first, I'm happy to meet with you anytime, or you can meet and talk with one of our elders. Or if you're just not sure about all of this yet, look, that's okay. Because I, I want you to be convinced for yourself. So I encourage you, go home, study the word, pray. Let's go out for coffee and talk about it if we need to. The main thing is that we do not miss an opportunity to do what God is calling us to do. If you're not saved, then he's calling you to follow him in faith. If you're not baptized, he's calling you to follow him in baptism. And if you are saved and you are baptized, then he's calling you to make disciples and to lead more people into these waters. Let's do it together. Making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is our calling. Let's pray to that end.